John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. You are accessing entry 326.2K0933, certificate number 32146. Defenestration. Defenestration is the act of throwing someone out a window. From the Latin, de, out of, and <laughs> fenestra, window. Window. That's, That's right. A twist ending. Defenestration, throwing someone out the window. I don't want to derail you, but I find the word very unpleasant. You do. It doesn't sound like a – I mean, throwing someone out a window is unpleasant. Sure. But to me, it sounds like uh, something a veterinarian or a prostatologist would do to you. Like, you got to bring your dog in for its defenestration. <laughs> like, it sounds very invasive to me. Sure, that you're going to spend like a, like a weekend in a bathtub full of milk while you're defenestrating. <laughs> yeah. Uh, although I'm curious to know how many times a veterinarian has done something to you. I just feel like most of the times I've brought someone in to have something weird under their genitals, it was a oh. pet and not a human. Oh, I see. I see what you're saying. Because I don't live your depraved rock and roll lifestyle. Well, that's right. That's right. We do things a little bit differently in the rock scene. Uh, the most famous defenestration, the one that we – I mean, usually when you hear the word defenestration, it's always, it's always included with the term of Prague, right? Defenestration of Prague. We must travel in very – scholarly circles that we have a, a typical context in which we hear the word defenestration. Well, but yeah. That is clearly, I think you're right. That is by far the best and most widely known defenestration. Right. And there are, there are actually three separate defenestrations of Prague. Wait, what? Yes. And what's interesting is the second defenestration of Prague is really what gave the idea its name, gave the, uh, gave the trope its name. So it's like the Star Wars movies, the, the middle one was the best? Yeah, right. The middle one, well, I don't know, depending on how you judge the best. Yeah, actually, well, the first, so the second defenestration of Prague gave the name to the series. And then retroactively, <laughs> it was applied to the first gener defenestration it's of It's like Prague. a prequel. Right, it's That's, a prequel. It was a retcon. Exactly. So the first defenestration of Prague happened in the early 1400s. And it was... I would say, I would argue, it was the most successful defenestration because... Wait, wait, wait. What are your criteria? Like, did well, the, the guy went all the way out the window? I'll explain. The first defenestration of Prague, they actually threw the entire city council of Prague out the window <laughs> of the town hall and everyone died. How, how many people were on a city council back then? Is It, it was like 18 people or um, um, enough people that it was... It must have been quite a scene. Who's throwing them out the window? Walk me through this, John. Well, well so... 
So the Czech people were were and are, I think, some of the most liberal and progressive. And this seems counter to the idea of throwing a city council out the window. Sure. But they were typically the like a very very early adopters of of uh, a new kind of liberalism. And in the 1400s, what that meant was they were rebelling against the Catholic Church, the institutional church. And this is before Martin Luther, so there wasn't Protestantism per se. These are like proto-Protestants. Right. Following Protestants. Protestants. <laughs> we call them. Following a, a, a Czech minister named Jan Hus, who was following an English theoretician named Wycliffe. And the, the general idea was that the church had become overburdened with ceremony. The, the priests were accruing great wealth to themselves. Uh. And it was sort of a, an idea of turning to the gospel. And also there was all that crazy business. You know, it was so important at the time whether or not when you took communion, whether it was transubstantiation, which was that we should explain this to our we, – maybe we need to give some context to our future listeners who do not – may not have Jesus. You're right. You're talking about the futurelings. Of, who, co of course, they, they could be post-Jesus or they could be – they could have started again and be pre-Jesus. Maybe he has come back. Ah. We could be talking to post-millenarian uh, earthlings. He keeps doing that or threatens to at least. That's what, kind of his thing. But anyway, like transubstantiation was the idea, right, that, uh, that in, within communion – Christ comes into the actual bread and wine. The bread and wine turns into his body and blood in some essential way. Right. And then there was the idea of consubstantiation, which was that the blood of Christ and his body were simultaneously in the bread and wine. So they were both present. It's still bread. Wait. So it's still bread and wine, but it's also Jesus. Right. Okay. And, so, so and then both. there was impanation, which was... Uh, some other thing. Maybe the bread and wine turned into like Snickers and Coke, but Jesus was also in there. I, you know, it's there, there's some there's some sort of looser Protestant version of it where it represents it's a symbol of him and it's less literal, right? Right. But at this time, oh, they didn't have that. They didn't have symbolism uh, in 1419. That's what Jan Hus and John Wycliffe are up to. Well, so they had they they were differing on whether Christ was in the in the bread or whether whether no he was definitely in the bread but whether he was in the bread along with bread or whether he became the bread and the bread so was, the the bread is the issue they all agree that Jesus is there we're just not sure if it's still Jesus bread. is there in both cases it's like is the bread there which okay. I, is I think is a question that we still ask ourselves all the time but so <laughs> so as the Czech as the as the Bohemians right because there was no sense of Czech people at this time. It wasn't either. a nation. It was part of what? Part of Germany? Part of well, so Bohemia was trying to establish itself as somewhat independent of German kings at the time. Okay. German kings were traditionally Catholic. The kings were Catholic, and the the people of Bohemia were kind of trying to flex their muscles a little bit and develop this new, more liberal take on on all of the indulgences of the Catholic Church. Can we get to the uh, municipal officials coming out the window? That's right. What, that's what I want. So they were Catholics and they were sort of uh, standing athwart the, uh, the liberalization and they angered a mob, which 
still happens to this day. And they were unfortunately standing athwart a windowsill. <laughs> well, so, no, the mob stormed the city hall, oh, chased wow. them up the tower, and then threw them out the window. Including, and there was also, I think, a judge involved and a, a couple of people standing around. And, and set the scene. Is this a high window? It's a, it's a tall window. It's a, t- a window in a tower. Oh, so they're high up. They threw them out, and I think the ones that didn't splat on the ground and die were then set upon by the mob and killed with with pikes. So that they're all just coming down the window and one at a time. We'll talk about bouncing <laughs> checks. Ah! Oh, that was good enough that it knocked my headphones off. Hang on. Uh, That's a joke I actually had written down here. Oh, oh, really? Talk about bouncing <laughs> checks. <laughs> Uh, uh, I guess they were technically bohemians, which ruins the joke. Yeah, I Talk like about bouncing bohemians. I like that you pre-write down your jokes, though. That's that's you want, good. You don't want to forget a gem like that. <laughs> Did you wake up in the middle of the night? <laughs> that's right. Oh my god, let me write that down. Because check means both person for Czechoslovakia <laughs> and I think you uh, financial instrument. <laughs> so the mob just so this whole city council, R.I.P. Yeah, and it was. It was marginally successful in terms of its goal, which was to push the Germans out of Bohemian politics for a while and give them a little bit of autonomy. Because at the time, you had weak kings, you had strong kings, you had weak dukes, strong dukes, and Holy Roman Empire was there, and uh, the Habsburgs were sort of this um, percolating problem. This has not been tried in our time, when there is a lot of talk of term limits and, you know, draining, uh, you know, the instruments of, of government, you know, right. like, no, but nobody ever says, let's all go push them all out a window. No, although, thank goodness, and because... We, and we think we live in a troubled time. I think generally, like, the window pushers, right, if you're, if you are someone inspired to push a city council out the window, I'm not sure you're the best people to put reform uh, in your hands, right? Like, <laughs> like, what do you do after? Like, you might be good at window pushing, uh, but, uh, like, yeah, how are you going to be at... Uh, legislation and deal-making. Right. And I think in 1419, that might have been different. That might have been switched around. It could be the same people. But so then we had 200 years where... No one is defenestrated. Right. The the Czechs are like, you know, kind of given a little bit of elbow room. And then in the interim, Martin Luther uh, comes around, you know, sometimes 80 years after the initial defenestration, and he nails his 95 theses to the door. And... Now we have Lutheranism. Now there is Protestantism. And within the Holy Roman Empire, you have a lot of leeway because there is no Germany at this point, right? There are a dozen different— They're just little kingdoms and little, duchies and yeah, whatnot. Yeah, little, little— Bavaria you know, and Saxony and whatever. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Made up countries. The, the Palatinate of Westphalia, et cetera, et cetera. That's good. Uh, I hope that's real. <laughs> and uh, so, but these little independent nations were were given the leeway to choose whether they were Protestant or Catholic within the Holy Roman Empire. And depending, and then they each had a vote who would be the emperor of the Holy Roman Empire. So there was all this political so Sort strife. of an electoral college. You got your red states and your blue states. That's and, right. and everybody has a, a fixed representation. Of... And they were actually called electors. Ah, it and, is like electoral college. Yeah, it's yeah the original version of kind of these these kings get to pick the emperor. And is this the origin of our sort of weird American tradition of like every state will uh, have a guy who makes who pulls a lever? Do you think it comes from these European conglomerations? It's an interesting question because because today it seems like a weird anachronism. Certainly, like we we pride ourselves on having representative democracy be uh, direct from the Greeks, but, but really we have this weird 
German intervening thing. Yeah, yeah. It's I, I I think in fact that may be true. The fact that they're called electors really electors, makes yeah. me think maybe they maybe that's where we got our screwed up system. But we there should... was a, there was a lot of tension because of course the Protestant kings wanted the emperor of the Holy Roman Empire to be Protestant, sure. and that would have changed the nature of everything. So the second defenestration of Prague happened about a hundred years. Well, yeah, a hundred years after Luther. 200 years almost to the year after the first defenestration of Prague. And this was again a situation where the German kings, in particular the Bavarian king and the um, the Habsburgs, who were kind of, you know, starting to – and the Habsburgs, to those listening along from a future time who – Who, unlike may, us, do not know every detail of right, the Habsburgs. Who, who, may hear, who may hear the word Habsburg and go, ah, yes, I saw it in a, in a, in a museum – you know they were they became a very powerful European family. They sort of dynasty. ran the Holy Roman Empire for centuries, right? For a long, long time. But at this point, the the um, the Bohemians were pretty resolutely Protestant, and again agitating for for a lot of autonomy to get out from under the Catholic Habsburg thumb, right? And the Germans were, or I'm sorry, the king was Catholic. So who goes out the window? Like get to the guys going out the window. That's what I'm into. Here. Okay. So the Protestants are there and they're saying the, the, the Catholic king is trying to impose his will on us and some of the Catholic dukes come to a board meeting and they're representatives of the Catholic government. Is this going to be the same window, same tower? Different window, different tower. Wow. You can pick any window in Czechoslovakia and just throw people out of it? Well, so as – what's confusing about this is this is a very Czech style of protest. Yeah. And no one else does it. In their culture, it's considered polite. Well, this is the way that you express discontent, political discontent, and who, you know, it seems it's available to everybody. There are windows everywhere. I'm glad we have angry Facebook posts. Like, I don't want to live in the window-throwing-out culture when you're mad at the government. And, and if you remember in the, uh, in the movie about uh, William, William Wallace... Um, uh, the Mel Gibson? Starring Mel Gibson. There, is it Braveheart? Braveheart. Yeah. There's a scene in that movie where the king throws... Um, his son's. Uh, it's the homophobic Mel Gibson it's scene. It's the homophobic Mel Gibson so scene. So, future, future uh, audience, future listeners, uh, Mel Gibson was a very popular in Hollywood actor and director who also had terrible regressive social views. That's right. And he made a movie in which his son's gay lover is thrown out of a tower, and it's funny because he's gay. Yeah, or meant to be funny because he's. It's gay. not funny, but it's that's a. I guess I never thought about that. That's a defenestration. It's a defenestration, kind of a typical one, right? Or a, a stereotypical defenestration. Although there haven't really been enough to establish. Yeah, like, I don't have a mental picture. Like, what do you draw in Pictionary for a defenestration? I don't know what a prototypical, archetypal defenestration is. Well, for instance, I think in fourteen nineteen, are there even glass windows? Yeah, exactly. I think the window is just a hole in the wall. Well, that's better. If you're going to – you don't want to plummet through a sheet of glass, right? right? You grab a guy by the shirt collar and out he goes. Out you two pixies go, through the door, through the window. But I think by 1617, are there windows by this point? I think probably you would have to maybe open a window. So was it summer? It was spring, I think. Uh, so the windows could have been open. Could like have a, been a, a warm spring day. A breezy day. Although – there's some further information that suggests maybe the windows weren't open because the two Catholic dukes who were thrown out the window in the second titular defenestration of Prague, neither one of them died. Wait, what? Was it a first-story window? Did they forget how to do defenestrations in the intervening 200 years? No, crazily, it was a third-story window. Wow, they're getting better. They're getting really good at this except bad at it because 
at least by the Protestant retelling of the story, the Catholic dukes landed on a dung heap. Wait, like so it's like Biff and Back to the Future? Yeah, out they go. This sounds suspiciously like anti-Catholic propaganda. Right. Okay, we didn't kill them, but guess what? They fell on a dung they heap. They landed in poop. And, I would, and that would be the suggestion that it was propaganda, except the Catholic retort was, no, they didn't fall on a dung heap. They were saved by angels. Oh, wow. So they didn't have a very believable wow. alternative story. To me, that's a great rhetorical twist. Yeah. Oh, like, they didn't die? Well, you know why. Yeah, because— The angels uh, uh, bore them up. Yeah, Saint uh, Saint Augustine or whatever was down there, like the patron saint of window uh, ac- of home accidents. So they didn't die, and that precipitated that act. The second defenestration of Prague was very similar to the assassination of Archduke Franz Ferdinand, which, as we know, precipitated the beginning of World War One. As our hypothetical listeners may not know, it launched a massive global war in which millions lost their lives. Right, because it was so, uh, it was symbolic of like the overthrow at the time of, again, Austrian hegemony in the Balkans. So we've got this simmering thing between Protestants and Catholics. Two guys go out a window. They don't even die. Right. But, but it, that starts a war? It precipitates the 30 years war. Whoa. Which was, again, a war between Catholics and Protestants. The 30, and the, the ultimate outcome of 30 years' war was 8 million Europeans dead. 8 million? 8 million dead. That's like, that's a 20th century number. Like, that's yeah. crazy. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, still the deadliest religious war in European history. I guess the, the secret is to last 30 years. I mean, if you keep fighting, that's insane. Yeah. Well, and what's crazy is it's, a, it's called the 30 years' war, and it lasted 29 years and 11 months and like 16 days. I mean— Wait, wait. If they'd gone like another week? It could have literally been 30 years. I like that because you, do you know the thing about the 100 years' war? Tell me about the 100 years' war. Well, it's, it's, it's actually 116 years. Yeah. Like it's a huge lie, the 100 years' war. They rounded down. They didn't have, they didn't have smaller numbers then. But the Thirty Years' War, they got so close. And I think probably there were still messengers riding around going, it's over, it's over, like on the day. So that's probably It's how true. It, Back then you couldn't send out a, a fax or an email and be like, good news, the Thirty Years' War is over, everybody. Right. So, Even now you probably couldn't send out a fax about it. For that different was, reasons. It was pretty brief. And futurelings, a fax is not worth describing. It was a form of communication that – just wasted everyone. I mean, the story you probably know about the War of 1812, where the most famous iconic battle of the War of 1812 was the Battle of New Orleans, which took place after peace had already been signed. Right. But word had not gotten to New Orleans. Yeah. Some dude on a horse is on his way being like, don't have the Battle of New Orleans, guys. Good good news. (laughs) Well, he gets there too late. That was the thing that made Andrew Jackson a hero, which, uh, you know, like seeded populism and is still a problem. So what I'm saying is fax machines would have saved us from so many, you know, divisive problems in modern America. Right. Or beepers. (laughs) <laughs> or beepers. <laughs> if they had invented beepers. If President Madison or Monroe uh, had had a fax machine. Call home. Call home. <laughs> Andrew Jackson. <laughs> call your wife. So it precipitated this enormous conflict that changed the political dynamic in Europe. So Europe is shaped for centuries by these three guys coming out a window and they didn't even die. Right. And a major factor was now the Habsburg family was sort of the dominant. It set up a Habsburg versus Bourbon, you know, Austrian versus French dynamic uh. in Europe. This is a good opportunity, I think, for us to take a little bit of a a break and uh, come back after this message. Let's take a short break and then defenestrate more people. 
When it comes to meat, quality makes a huge difference in texture and taste. And even though it might be better for you and the environment, a lot of the higher quality meat you find at the grocery store is just too expensive for most people's budget. Thankfully, there's ButcherBox. ButcherBox believes everyone deserves access to high-quality, humanely sourced meat at an affordable price. That's why each month, ButcherBox ships a curated selection of the finest cuts right to your home. Choose from 100% grass-fed and finished beef, free-range organic chicken, heritage pork, wild-caught Alaskan salmon, and sugar and nitrate-free bacon. No antibiotics, no added hormones, just meat the way meat should be. And right now, you can get Get two pounds of ground beef and two packs of bacon absolutely free, plus $20 off your first box when you visit butcherbox.com slash iHeart or use the promo code iHeart at checkout. That's butcherbox.com slash iHeart or use the promo code iHeart at checkout. There is a third defenestration of prop. Hold on. Before we get to the start of the, I assume the third week on the Alien 3 of the trilogy. Yeah. Uh, I want to tell you my one beef with the Thirty Years' War. Oh, let's hear it. Besides the eight million dead, which is sad. That's a that's a bad beef. The apostrophe. Thirty Years' apostrophe war. Right. Can you explain to me what's possessive? Like the thir- I would think the war has thirty years, but apparently the sentiment back then was that thirty years. Each one of had the years war. had a war. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, there were thirty years, <laughs> and they owned a war. Right. Uh, I, I just think it should be 30 years war, no yeah, apostrophe. No apostrophe, right? Because any, if, if it's apostrophe S, then that would suggest that years had a war. Yeah, 30 year, which is not a thing. <laughs> right. Had yeah, a war. I'm not saying apostrophe S. I'm saying there, – there's no, It belongs apostrophe-less. I think so. I'm trying to think of what the analogy would be. You know, It would be like saying uh, Buffalo Bills fans. You, know, you wouldn't say Buffalo Bills apostrophe fans. Is it, is it something like attorneys general? Is it is it like related to that idea? You are saying defenestrations of Prague instead of defenestration of Prague's. Of Prague's. Which I think is is correct. There's no there aren't multiple Prague's. No. I, I do I right. Because it because let's extend that apostrophe so that it says thirty years' war. Thirty years is. Yeah, that's not that makes zero sense. So I don't know. It's an it's it's maybe something left over from a time when they were recording this stuff. It's maybe maybe after uh, after the Gutenberg Bible, or maybe after yep. the invention of the printing press. It was a fly landing on a page, <laughs> and somebody was like, "Well, I guess that's what it's called." Whack! I guess I just invented the apostrophe. Okay, sorry. There's a third but lesser defenestration. Yeah, a third defenestration, and this is a big question about defenestrations. Do you do you use that term out the window? to describe suicides. Ah, self-defenestration. Self-defenestrations. And I think generally you don't because if some – and hilariously, or although maybe it's not hilarious, you want to think like the like the the prototypical suicide in a film is throw yourself out a window. An executive who's like – Yep, this is it. I've I, lost it all. Wall Street's <laughs> collapsing. Exactly. Out I go. The 1929 uh, defenestration. But okay. in fact – it is like the least common way to kill yourself. Nobody actually does this. It requires having a high, you know, access to a skyscraper. Well, access to a skyscraper, which allows you to open the windows. Oh, uh, yeah. They don't have that anymore. No, not since – because skyscrapers and I think uh, like central cooling didn't come about at the, exactly the same time, right. but certainly that's – That's why the Middle Ages were the golden age of throwing people out windows. You weren't in that – you didn't have those hotel windows where it's like this doesn't even open. Right. So the third defenestration of Prague 
happened in 1948. Whoa. Yeah. It happened like in our parents' lifetime. After World War II. I mean, to our, we should say to our future listeners, like, you know, to them, those are, these are both equally distant dates. We're talking to people, who knows, in the 30th century or whatever. Right. But this is like within living yeah. memory. People of, were still getting thrown out windows. Not routinely, although it's never been routine. In Prague, uh, apparently. Uh, but in Prague, you can't go, you can't walk three blocks without several bohemians landing on you. It happens. It happens. Uh, the third defenestration of Prague uh, involved Jan Masaryk, who was the son of the president of the sort of potentially liberal government of Prague that came just after the war, before the Soviet Union really imposed like hegemony over Central Europe. So, so Masaryk would, you know, was uh, anti-Soviet. Well, he was the li- he was a liberal socialist rather than I mean, and, right. but, and, he, but he wasn't in favor of the tanks coming in. Like the Soviets wanted to depose him, or well, yeah, the this, the the central Soviet government did not want an independent, free thinking Czech Republic. Okay, and uh, and they were all still there, right from from the war occupation, right? So he supposedly committed suicide by jumping out a window, although oh. the, the Czechs never bought it. It's a disputed defenestration. A disputed defenestration that over time, the conviction of certainly Czech scholars and now generally accepted given the number of different ways that the Soviets assassinated in, people. In, in with, hindsight, now yeah. we know all the Baroque ways they were stabbing people with umbrellas. Yeah, poison and umbrellas and, and bits of cesium-235 in your, in your tea. And but they so had forth. not gotten to that Baroque point. They didn't have a Q lab. So at this point, the Soviets were just pushing guys out windows. And I think they had to understand the symbolism of ah. out the window, right, to the Czechs. This is no this, That's else. the most meaningful thing you can do in Czech politics. Right. If you throw a guy out the window in Budapest, Nobody they're just like, what? That's weird. Yeah. The weather's very Czechoslovakian today. But there are some other historic defenestrations. One that I can think of in, in particular. Well, I wanted to talk about a defenestration in American history. Is that okay? That's the one I'm talking about. Well, it may or may not be a defenestration. We'll talk about that right after this break. Have you always wanted to learn to play an instrument? Maybe you've even tried at some point, but gave up because you felt lessons were too expensive or that you just didn't have the time. Thankfully, there's Musician. Musician is the fun, easy, and affordable way to learn guitar, piano, bass, ukulele, and even singing. Just download the app to your desktop, tablet, or phone and start playing. Musician gives you 24-7 access to a vast catalog of video lessons from professionally trained educators, as well as thousands of exercises and songs across dozens of music genres, all tailored to your goals. And with Musician's award-winning technology that listens to you play, you'll get real-time feedback on timing and accuracy so you can actually see yourself improving as you learn. Start your extended 14-day free trial of Musician's Premium Plus package at musician.com start. That's unlimited access to thousands of lessons, exercises, and songs on as many instruments as you want for two whole weeks. Just go to musician.com slash start. That's Y-O-U-S-I-C-I-A-N dot com slash start. Well, so I was saying there are other defenestrations and, and one in particular. Well, yeah, I think you know that I wanted to talk about what may or may not be a defenestration in American history. Right. And maybe the only one I can think of. Until you heard all of this about the defenestrations of Prague, and now now you have, like, so many defenestrations in your head that it's swimming. I meant the only homegrown one. We're right. not a nation of defenestrators or defenestratees. Typically, no. But the most famous one I can think of is interesting to me because my great-great-great-grandfather was in Carthage, Illinois in 1844 when Joseph Smith, the, the Mormon leader, 
was shot and went out a window, upstairs window in a jail. So I just found this out from you uh, earlier, yesterday. Yes. Your great, 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 great grandfather was not only in Carthage, Illinois, he was in the room with Joseph Smith. He was Willard Richards, who was Smith's personal secretary at the time. So I've been to Carthage, Illinois. I've been to this site, which is the jail. somewhat of a pilgrimage site for uh, for Mormons. Sure. It's like to Mormons, it's a martyrdom. Right. Right. It's like going to see where the, you know, St. Peter was crucified or something. So I went up the stairs in the jail into the room, and it is not a big room. If you've got five people in this room... I mean, it's a it's a crowded space. It's tiny, and there were there were four people there. Joseph and his brother Joseph Smith and his brother Hiram were, were there. Uh, John Taylor, who later be, was a successor of Joseph Smith as a Mormon leader in the Utah era, was there. And my great 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 grandfather, Willard Richards, was there, and he was the only one unhurt by the assassination. Right. So what what makes this this is sort of like a, another disputed defenestration because there were also. Bullets flying. Yeah, nobody's thrown physically. Do you have to be held and thrown like, you know, like the undertaker going off the top rope to, for, to be a defenestration? I mean, I feel like we're establishing for the futurelings, for people, you know, centuries from now listening to this podcast, we're kind of establishing what, what qualifies as a defenestration. So I think we can make a ruling here. Our call will be definitive. Right. So, so if, as I understand the history, um, you know, Joseph Smith is in uh, a cell awaiting uh, trial on charges of treason. He uh, Treason to the United States? Yeah, he was the mayor of Nauvoo. He had ordered a, a printing pr- – well, there were, things were already always touchy between the Mormons and other settlers. Uh, mistakes were made. Right. On both sides. <laughs> sure, there was – there were some matters that were unresolved. Right. And in this case, Joseph Smith, as you know, the city council of Nauvoo, led by Smith, had ordered the destruction of a printing press that had been used to print, you know uh, – that have been used leaflets. to print leaflets by his political enemies, you know, the only issue of an anti-Mormon newspaper. And this is curious to me that he would, rather than persecute them somehow personally, he would destroy the printing press. Maybe that's the Nauvoo equivalent <laughs> of a defenestration. You throw a printing press out <laughs> a, at, a, at a newspaper office window. Sure. So he was imprisoned by people in a neighboring town? How yeah, did I, he even get to Carthage? You know, Joseph Smith had been sort of guaranteed by the governor that he would get a fair trial, that his safety would be protected. And so he reluctantly gave himself up and he and his three friends went to Carthage, which I assume was where the jail and the trial were going to be. Right. And, you know, a mob forms, heads up the stairs, comes into the room with guns blazing. Joseph's friends were armed. They had, I think they had a couple guns. And my favorite part of this, a big hickory walking cane that they called the rascal beater. The rascal beater. So my great-great-great-grandfather is standing at the door whacking at people with his rascal, his hickory rascal beater. Oh, so this isn't just a rascal beater that's passed around. This is your your forebear's personal rascal beater? I think uh, I think John Taylor had the rascal beater. Uh-huh. And, and when he got shot and crawled under the bed, Richards took the rascal beater and started whacking it at, at gun hands. Right. Coming in the door. You know, this is like... Al Capone stuff. Sure, get that rascal beater and go. Joseph Smith jumps up to the windowsill and apparently takes two balls from inside, one ball from outside, and falls dead. Is that a defenestration? He moved to the window himself, right? But not out the window. The, his, well, motion, he, his motion out of the window may have been, you know, by you know, he was a, he was attempting to escape. Is my understanding? One would think if people came into a room shooting at you. Uh, he also, I believe his last words were something like, my Lord, my God, which some have said may have been like a, a Freemason's cry for help. Masonry ah. was very big in Nauvoo at the time. And he may have been sort of asking for, you know, any Masons, uh, you know, 
Right. Well, I need, well, I need that, a little, little help. Little help. That sure takes the conspiracy theory right out of this. You'd love to have Freemasons in a in a <laughs> in a in a, some kind of killing. Well, you know, and that's the origin of the phrase: "Don't bring a rascal beater to a gunfight." <laughs> that's right. From from Brian De Palma's The Untouchables. <laughs> well, now what's interesting also is that this idea of being guaranteed safe passage and then being set upon uh, actually figures in. The story of Jan Hus. Oh, is that right? All the way back in uh, in uh, olden times, Jan Hus, who was the uh, the heretic, the original, right, who precipitated guy. the original defenestration, ultimately was guaranteed safe passage to some kind of uh, you know uh, like discussion. Some, all the kings were coming together and they were deciding whether or not the Czech proto Protestants were going to have their freedom, and King Sigismund. Uh, guaranteed safe passage. And then once Jan Hus arrived, some of the other Catholic kings convinced him that he was a heretic and put him to death. Oh, see, that's how they do you. It's really— Jan Hus, Joseph, yeah. Joseph Smith. Joseph Smith. Joseph Smith. <laughs> <laughs> right. They give you safe passage and it's another reason. Never accept safe passage. That's a, that's a good advice, I think, in general. Yeah. You know, if you're offered safe passage, it may be a trick. Right. Well, I would not be here today if, you know, Willard Richards had not escaped death at the martyr, like I'm only here because he was behind the door with the rascal beater, and he always, you know, he he went with the Mormons to Utah, and he always said that um, Joseph Smith had prophesied that he would survive. Apparently, Smith had said the time would come that the balls would fly around him like hail, and he should see his friends fall on the right and on the left, but that there should not be a hole in his garment. Is he talking about himself, or is he talking about your great 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 grandfather? That is Smith telling Richards that you will escape a hail of bullets. Wow. Know? And in Richards' account, that was years before. Sure. So uh, so there you go. He, he saw his survival as a matter of prophecy. I, it's very interesting that once Smith was out the window, all of a sudden, like, the gunfire stopped. It wasn't, like, typical. I think now the shooters would have just shot everybody. Shot all the witnesses? Although it was probably more difficult to keep a gun loaded. I wonder if the defenestration is what saved him. You know, he goes out the window and that moves the scene to the street below. Like, uh, let's go make sure we got we got the guy. Right. Um, that may have been what saved his life. Well, so I guess the question is, let's rule on this. Was Joseph Smith defenestrated or was or did he fall out a window after being murdered by gun? To me, the interesting thing about a defenestration is the person falling out the window. Right. You know, and because— Dying as a result. Although the second defenestration of Prague, nobody died. That's true. It doesn't have to be a death. So it's not a death. So even if, you know, even if it's the—even if nobody lays a hand on him, you know, it's just the bullet impact is what sends him out the window. To me, that's everything that's interesting about a defenestration. Yeah, I would agree. And particularly, like, we love things that happen in America. And I always resented that the Czechs got all the defenestrations. We had one in the Old West. Yeah, we got a like a genuine one. We got a nice Midwestern defenestration. And it's a good one. It's got, you know, religious war. Yep. You know, it's got the whole Prague ball of wax, you know, just right in Illinois. That's right. Oh, that's an interesting thing. All defenestrations have a religious context. I wonder if there is something, you know, you really have to be a religiously self-important person to be like, you know, before God and man, I'm throwing my political enemy out a window. You know, you don't really see a nice secular politician making that kind of a— Right. Well, and so this brings us to maybe the ultimate proto-defenestration, which is recounted in the Bible. Ah, yeah, the story of Queen Jezebel. That's right. Jezebel— There's a prophecy that— Out the window as a response to— Well, okay, so this is another thing. Each— defenestration has a tie to resisting tyranny. 
That's right. It's like it's like over it's like knocking over a statue, except you're doing it with the actual persons. Right. Yeah. It's toppling toppling your. Uh... You're literally toppling <laughs> them, but you're not waiting for them to die, and then toppling a twenty foot version of them. <laughs> like while they're there in the room, hey, let's topple him now. Let's save some time, and then we'll break early for lunch. Right. Right. So I think we've established there are some criteria for a defenestration. It must be passage through the window, and it's just like a touchdown. You just have to break the plane. Right. You just have to break the plane of the window. Right. Uh, and it doesn't have to be fatal, we've decided. Right. Because the best one was not fatal. So, And it has to involve like a religion that's currently being persecuted. So I think the next defenestration is probably going to be John Travolta out the window of the Chateau Marmont or something. You, you feel like the next defenestration will be a Scientologist. Right. Although it's, it's generally good, even when we're communicating to people way, way, way in the future, not to really mention Scientology because they'll come for you. They will travel across space and time thousands of years. They will. To or, sue your ass. Or they may, you know, they may, John Travolta may be arriving way in the future because of the nature of, of space travel, right? He'll go out for 30 years and come back and it'll be 3,000 years have passed on Earth. And it'll be Battlefield Earth. It'll be Battlefield That's Earth. That's what it'll be called then. Well, we'd like to thank all our listeners out there in Battlefield Earth. That concludes Defenestration. Entry number 326.2K0933, certificate number 32146, in the omnibus. In the unlikely event that you still have social media, future listeners, uh, you should know that our treats uh, are, are or possibly were archived at at Omnibus Project. Our handles were at Ken Jennings and at John Roderick. John, for some reason, also maintained an Instagram account using the same handle. Our email address, if you don't know what email was, it was just a popular form of communication using computers, was theomnibuspodcast at gmail.com. I'd like to address directly the futurelings. We often refer to you as listeners, although we have no idea if you have ears. You may be just receiving this through uh, your mandibles. Some kind of telepathic means. Yeah, or perhaps your nostril hairs are vibrating. Maybe they found one of those gold records and they placed their insectoid claw in the grooves and can uh, hear the sound waves directly. Right, so I don't want to offend you by calling you listeners, but from our vantage point in your distant past, we have no idea how long our civilization survived. We hope and pray, which is a form of... Uh, Divine communication. Communi communicating with what we presume to be the divine. We hope and pray that the catastrophe we fear may never come. If the worst comes soon, this recording, like all our recordings, may be our final word. But if providence allows, that's another word for the divine. If providence allows, we hope to be back with you soon for another entry in the Omnibus. Omnibus.